This morning, we will delve into a line from our covenant, Service is Our Prayer. We welcome Janine Gelsinger. She is the Executive Director of UU Jazz, which is Unitarian Universalist Justice Arizona, and is a member of the Curriculum Design Team for Beloved Conversations Virtual. She is also the former Director of Membership and Welcoming Ministries at the UU Congregation of Phoenix, where she worked with our current UUA President, Susan Frederick Gray. As we were both board members of the UU Association of Membership Professionals, I've had the honor of getting to know Janine, and I'm excited to welcome her this morning. I love those words by Adrienne Marie Brown. And I'm so, so happy to be invited to be here with you all today. Thank you for having me. As Nicole said, I'm Janine. And this is the first time I've preached outside of my home state of Arizona. So I looked up at the weather there this morning so I could be in the right mindset. It's 90 here, but I've heard that it's nice and cool in the 60s maybe there. So I'm channeling your Pacific Northwest weather today. Hopefully it'll work. You know, as the director of the State Action Network here in Arizona, I have a sermon that I use to travel around the first time that I enter a congregation. And so when Nicole asked me to be here with you, I thought, hmm, should I use that sermon? I think it's a pretty good one, but, oh, I don't know. And I do what I do every time I go to preach where I start to question myself and I think about rewriting my sermon. Because, you know, it's a different state. It's a different context. We have a different relationship, right? I'm not your state action network organizer. But then I stopped myself and I thought about the quote we have the top of your order service today, move at the speed of trust. Move at the speed of trust. And that's also a quote by Adrienne Marie Brown. And it reminds me that anytime you enter a new relationship, it can be tempting to rush right to the point, right? To get right to the work and the action together. And some of you I've worked with through Beloved Conversations Within. Some of you I might work with in Beloved Conversations Among. And that new relationship requires trust. And if I just rush through the relationship building and get right to, you know, the justice work, we won't be able to move together in the same way. And so... I was reminded by a quote from another author that I love, some of you might love, Brene Brown. And Brene Brown says that trust isn't built from me holding up my resume, reading you my bio and telling you all of the accomplishments I've had and the impressive views that I've worked with. Trust comes from vulnerability. And so in order to build trust together, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you today in the hopes that you'll share your stories with me too. And by sharing a little bit about ourselves and sharing our stories together, we can start to build that relationship that will build trust so that we can do some liberatory work together. So with that in mind, I'm going to tell you the story. Now, I was born 
in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been told that Scottsdale and Bellevue might be a little bit similar in their uh, demographics. And I was born to a white, wealthy, Catholic, Republican family. Now, we were Catholic with a big C, not little C Catholics, Christmas Easter Catholics. No, we were very, very involved in our church. My mother taught Sunday school. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I suppose. (laughs) Um, And starting in the time when I was in fourth grade, I co-taught Sunday school with my mom. I wrote most of the lessons, but don't tell her that I told you that. I was a little bit of a precocious kid. And in fact, I was so involved in our church that by the time I was a teenager, I was named the youth of the year of the Phoenix Catholic Diocese, which meant that I got to, I know you're really impressed. You know, you don't need to applaud. It's it's okay. That meant that I got to serve mass with the bishop at the cathedral downtown in Phoenix. And that I could put that on my college applications. But around that same time, I was a teenager, right? And so I started to ask some questions. Now, as Unitarian Universalists, we love when our teenagers ask questions, right? And I had a lot of those questions. I had questions about hell. I had questions about sex because teenagers have lots of questions about sex. And I really had a lot of questions because I felt like my LGBTQ friends weren't wrong in anything that they were doing. And although as you use, we love when our kids ask questions in the Catholic community I was a part of, not so much. They weren't very impressed by the questions that I had. And so I started to really question if I was where I was supposed to be, And around that same time, two major events happened. The first one was that the priest of my church, who my mother was working for at the time, she had uh, volunteered to be part of the finance committee. Maybe some of you have been on the finance committee. And she found out that our priest was embezzling money from the church. And then the bishop of our diocese, who I had served mass with, who was going to write my college recommendation letters. He hit someone with his car and drove away. So there I was, 16 years old, and I was having a crisis of faith. The people I had been taught to trust were not who they said they were. They weren't living the values that they were preaching. And it bothered me as a teenager. I knew it wasn't right to say one thing and do another. Our values have to match our actions. So I told my parents how I was feeling. I told them I wanted to leave the church. And at the time I didn't like their answer, but now as as a mother, it seems appropriate. They said, we would like you to talk to Kathy, who is the director of religious education who was a family friend who I had known since I was a little kid and talk to her about how you're feeling. So I went to talk to our DRE. I told her about my questions and how I was feeling, how angry I was and 
all of the turmoil that I was in and just in this existential faith crisis I was having. And she said to me, Janine, you are a leader among the youth. You're a leader in this church. And if you leave, other kids will go with you. And their souls will be on your hands. I can't hear you, but I'm imagining you're groaning a little bit right now with me. And yes, me too. Even at 16 years old, I knew that wasn't right. I knew that it wasn't right for her to try to guilt and shame me into doing something that didn't match the values that I had been taught. And so as a teenager, I left the church and I was happily unchurched for years and years and years. But then something changed in my life. Seems to be kind of a theme today in this service. Can you guess? Yeah, yeah. I had a baby. I became a mother. And my my daughter was sick. She was in the NICU. She wasn't um, able to breathe on her own. She was on a ventilator. And as a terrified new mother with a helpless baby that I didn't know how to help, I turned to my partner at the time and said, do you think we should baptize her? And he said, Janine, we're atheists. (laughs) And true. Yes, that was true. Yes, you're atheists. Do you think we should do it anyway? (laughs) And, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for at the time, right? It didn't make sense. Why would I, I didn't believe in original sin. I didn't think this baby needed to be cleansed in order to get into heaven. It wasn't, that didn't match my beliefs, but I didn't know it at the time, but I was looking for something bigger. I knew that this kid's entry into the world was bigger than her tiny infant body. And it was bigger than me. It was something that belonged in community, but I didn't have one. And I was looking for, which I also didn't know at the time, a ritual something to mark that things had really changed in our family's life. But I didn't know what that could be. And I knew that I didn't want it to be the Catholic tradition I had grown up in. But I didn't know what that meant. So I started off on a time of searching. And there are many stories for another day of different things I tried out in order to find community or spirituality. But one night I was scrolling through Facebook after my baby was asleep, like some of us do at night when we're tired after our kids are in bed, scrolling through social media and someone had linked a quiz. And the quiz said, what religion should you be? So that seemed interesting, right? So I clicked through, it was a really lengthy quiz, all sorts of questions I hadn't thought about in a long time about theology and beliefs, and I completed the quiz, and at the end, it said, Unitarian Universalist, and I said, what the heck is that? I never heard of it before, but I googled it, and while I was googling to find if there was a UU church near me, 
I had my partner take the quiz and he got the same thing. Now he had grown up an atheist from the start without religion. In fact, he was very, very skeptical of organized religion. And so we figured since we had the same result, we should probably check it out. We were in the midst of moving from Denver, where we lived back home to where I had grown up in Phoenix, Arizona. We moved on a Friday and on Sunday, I thought I better go to this church first thing and make sure it's a habit or else I'll put it off and never do it. And so on Sunday morning, we walked through the doors of Phoenix UU congregation and Susan Frederick Ray was preaching and we knew that we were home. Now, I've been a UU now for six and a half, almost seven years. And at first, it was hard for me as a recovering Catholic to embrace the spiritual side of Unitarian Universalism. I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but I loved the social justice messages. I loved having a community and an RE program for my kids. But I was a little bit hesitant around God language and the churchy parts of church. I still hadn't totally resolved all of my uh, religious trauma. But one day I heard my friend, Reverend Anthony, preach about spiritual practice. And he gave a definition of it that I really, really connected to. He said that a spiritual practice is anything, anything you do that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself, anything. And that something bigger than yourself can also be anything. It doesn't have to be a God or a higher power. And that was really interesting to me. And so I found the list that he had given us of spiritual practices And I decided to try some on because Reverend Anthony says that you can pick out a spiritual practice from the closet, try it on, see if it fits. And if it doesn't fit, you can hang it back up and maybe it'll work for someone else. So the first thing I tried was hiking. Now, I had a lot of UU friends who were really, really into nature practices. And that connected for me. It was different than what I had grown up with. But it had a lot of ritual to it, which I liked. And so I tried to hike. And as I was practicing hiking, I could see how it would be a really good fit for other people. I could see that when my feet touched the earth and I could hear the nature sounds, but nothing else, and feel the breeze or the sun's rays, More often the sun's rays because I'm in Phoenix. I could see how that would make you feel connected to nature and feel connected to something bigger. But I also don't really like to sweat. So for me, hiking just, it just wasn't, just wasn't it. It wasn't the best fit. So I hung that back in the closet and I was still in search of a spiritual practice when I attended um, one of the first marches that I went to in Phoenix. It was on May Day, and we were protesting downtown for workers' rights, um, specifically for a $15 an hour minimum wage. 
And I was at this protest and I was in the back of the line. It's generally where the parents with strollers are at a protest, right? They have to keep stopping to give kids snacks and their water bottle. And I was at the back with some other parents. And in fact, we had dropped back so far that the front of the line had already turned the corner around the building. And we couldn't quite hear the, the chants anymore from where we were. And that's when someone handed me a megaphone. I don't know if you've ever held a megaphone before, but it is quite the spiritual practice. And at first I tried to refuse. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not in charge of this march. I'm not one of the leaders, you know, directly impacted folks lead the chance. But really, we couldn't hear the folks ahead anymore. And it was just us. And so I was convinced by my uh, friends that I could lead a call and response chant on this megaphone. Now, I don't know if you've done this before, but when you're at a protest and you call out something and people call it back to you, I had what I would call the feeling of connection to the divine. And it's not because I was having a megalomaniac moment of my power on the megaphone. It was because I could feel connected, not just to myself, but to all of the people that we were marching with, that we had these shared values that we were putting into action. When I called something and heard everyone respond, I knew that we were marching together for something bigger than just what we needed. And I also felt connected to the people marching across the world on May Day. I felt connected to our ancestors to people who fought for us to have a 40-hour work week and an end to child labor and all the labor rights organizers that had come before me. And I felt a connection to the future because our kids were there with us. They were marching too, and they were learning what it meant to be part of a shared struggle. And that was the first time I realized that justice work was really a spiritual practice for me and for maybe some of you too. Now, marching might not be for everyone. So over time, I've developed a second spiritual practice. This one, I was first inspired by, by my grandmother. My grandmother, Irene, who uh, passed away just seven days after my daughter was born. They share the same birthday, and she was always a really special person in my life. Now, in the summers, since it's very hot in Phoenix, we used to stay with my grandma in Michigan when school was out, and my grandma would get up every morning early. She liked to get up early, and she would unfold the paper, pour herself coffee, because, of course, coffee is really our first spiritual practice in the morning, right? And then she would get on her rosary. Now, don't worry, you use, I'm not going to ask you to do the rosary as your spiritual practice. But something about my grandmother taking time every morning to intentionally connect to her values with something physical that she could do, that, that was sticking with me. And as I was thinking about that, 
I had attended General Assembly that year, our UUA annual gathering with UUs. And I went to a youth service and the youth had made this beautiful altar. I had never seen an altar used outside of Catholic practice, but they had made this gorgeous altar and placed all sorts of things on it that were meaningful and special to them. And so I put those things together and I came up with my second justice spiritual practice. We have an altar in our house. It's right behind me. I don't know if you can see there's houses in front of it, but right behind is our family altar. It's a square box. And anyone in my family is invited to put anything on it that helps them connect to their values. Now there's photos of my grandmother with my children. There is special treasures my children find. I don't know if your kids or grandkids do this too, but they go on walks and they bring home treasures, a flower, a special rock that they had to make sure they took home because it was so special. And those things go on the altar. I have some poetry that's inspiring to me there. I have a Divina candle. Now it is in the shape of Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, except that it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I have an AOC Divina candle on my altar, someone that inspires me. And every morning after I drop my kids off at school, I have a little quiet time for myself, make sure I pick up my coffee, just like grandma. I come home and I get out my altar. I might start with um, a prayer or a poem that grounds me in my values. And then I pick up my phone and I make that phone call to my legislators. I fill out the petition. I join in on a phone bank or I do one action that takes five minutes or less that I know helps me act my values into the world. And that's my spiritual practice. And since doing this, I've learned a lot of things. And when you call your legislator a lot, like I do, you sometimes get to know the people in the office. So Becca answers the phone in the legislator's office nearest to me in my district. And you know what she told me? She says that for every call that I make, there are at least five or 10 calls that are opposite values from mine. And what they do when you're there is you call, you say, I want to let my legislator know that I feel XXX on this issue. And they make a tally mark, right? Pro or con. This is the issue they're calling about tally mark. And your legislator gets to look at those at the end of the day. Now, I know that my political climate in Arizona is different from the one in Washington, but I also know that your legislators aren't perfectly aligned with all of your values. There's no way they can be. And when I make these calls, I think about that tally sheet. I think about how sometimes we're out-organized by folks that are tally marks on the other side that are against our values. Now, like any practice, it took me time to develop this. I get nervous on the phone. I'm a millennial, so like we would rather text, right? I don't, who makes phone calls? But I got over my nerves once I did it a few times. 
And the thing that keeps me going with this practice is that, you know, we are being attacked on so many fronts. And especially in the last few years with the pandemic, it feels so overwhelming. Sometimes it feels like one person can't do much. Like our voices are so small that we can't make any difference. And it's easy for me to feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed because there's attacks against immigration justice, LGBTQ justice, climate justice, all at the same time. And I'll tell you that that overwhelm, it's on purpose. It's a strategy. It's intentional that we are being attacked on all those fronts at once because people who are overwhelmed cannot fight back. But I know that I want to be a tally mark on the side of love. I want to be a tally mark on the side of justice. I want to be a tally mark to use my voice for UU values. And I'm here today to tell you that you can too. Your voice matters. It matters. Your voice, our collective power as you use, they can be world changing if you're only brave enough to speak them out into the world. Thank you.